You're listening to Origin Gates Daily Podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney, continuing with part five of Generational Inheritance. I just wanted to do a brief recap of our last episode before moving into today's podcast, just in case the listener has not got a context for what we've been discussing. We've been working through Genesis 1, and last week we started on Genesis 3. It talks about how the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts. That word for serpent is the Hebrew word nechash, and it means to whisper a spell or to hiss a spell, to use enchantment. And he questions what God told the woman. Did God really say that you may not eat from any of the trees in this garden? He was very, very crafty in the way that he worded it to draw her in. And it ends up being that the woman sees that the fruit is looking good. It's desirable for attaining wisdom, for being like God, knowing good and evil. And she falls and she gives not only to herself, but to her husband. The two of them disobey God. And in the last episode, we heard how God's voice was walking in the garden. There's a whole revelation on that. Please do go back and listen. But we see that when God says, Adam, where are you? It's not because he doesn't know where Adam is. It's because he's giving him a chance to repent. He gives him three chances. Adam and the woman blow those chances, and they each blame different things. Adam blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. And then it goes on to say that because of you, the earth is cursed. We went into a whole lot of revelation. I think we spent the whole podcast in our last episode looking at the meat contained in this Genesis 3 from verse 1 to 15. I do encourage you, go back and listen to it. But today, let's move on. I'll carry on reading from Genesis 3, and I'm on verse 16. To the woman, now he places a curse. Who did? God did. Places a curse on the woman and tells her she's going to have pain in her childbearing, um, and they're going to be severe. Verse 17, he says to Adam, Because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you that you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In last episode, we spoke about why that is. God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So all of creation is in you somewhere. You are the the microcosm of a macrocosm of everything that he has made. Because he was made of the dust, the earth was going to be affected by his sin. Likewise, you know, when we sin, the earth is cursed or it has an effect on somewhere in creation. But likewise, when we own it, when we take responsibility, we can also reverse that curse and bring blessings. This is how we're starting to deal with creation. Creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestations of the sun. As we start to take responsibility for our stuff, for ourselves, for our bloodlines, for we're starting to affect things greater than just us. So the word says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Okay, that's that's very interesting because we see how this gets redeemed when Jesus is around. 
I'll show you another scripture. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Okay, so we know that sin has a color. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a very striking color. Scarlet is not a pale color. It stands out pretty much against anything. So that's what sin is um, compared to. Now I want to show you Matthew 27, verse 28 to 30. It says, The soldiers stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Did you hear that? We've just been talking about sinners scarlet. And here the soldiers put on Jesus a scarlet robe. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns. And said it on the head. What did we just read in Genesis 3, 17 and 18? Because of you, the ground is cursed. It's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. I'm getting to my point in two seconds. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. Those thorns were not just little rose thorns. They were to believe to be one to two inches long. So when they got, when Jesus got struck on the head by those soldiers and those thorns went into his skull and the blood of Yeshua came out all over those thorns, he was actually redeeming something. He was redeeming the curse mentioned in Genesis 3. The Bible describes the color of sin as scarlet in Isaiah 118 and thorns first appear after the fall as a sign of the curse. So the articles that Jesus wore and what he went through with that crown of thorns is to show that Jesus took the sins and the curse of the earth upon himself. So when we say the blood has done it, yes, it has. But when we take responsibility for our part, we are administrating what his blood paid for. We are enforcing that which he paid for. We are giving him everything that his blood paid for. Let me continue reading. It says in verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve. He named her. Do you remember that he had the job of co-creating with Jesus? He spoke and it was so. He, The animals were brought to him. The essence of all of those animals, their core was brought to Adam and he named them. Here he is now naming his wife. She was called Isha or woman as, as she was taken out of Adam. Now he renames her after the fall and he names her Eve. What does Eve mean? The mother of all the living. So he frames what her function is going to be. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. So in our Sunday school books, we have these pictures of Jesus or sorry, God killing an animal, taking the skin off and making little caveman suits for Adam and for Eve. This was not the case. He gave them skin he clothed them with the skin on their bodies. I'll carry on reading. Verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. What is this all about? When we see east in the Bible, we see, especially here in, in Genesis, that east is written with a small e. This is not talking about direction. When you look at the Hebraic understanding, the Hebrew word for east is quedem, and it means antiquity. What does antiquity mean? It means the quality of being ancient, uh, former ages, peoples, nations, tribes, or cultures of ancient times. It means at the beginning. So we see that um, he drove the man out okay, of this place, of this place of antiquity. And it says he put cherubim. In our Sunday school books, we have one angel holding a flaming sword, right? That's not what the word says. When you have a look at King James Version, he uses the plural word of cherubims, which are angelic beings. You remember you see them before the throne, flanking God's throne. They also referred to as the chariots of Jehovah. It comes from the Hebrew word kerub. And they were there to guard the way. So we have this idea that this angel is standing there with a sword and this angel is going to kill any one of us who tries to get back into the garden. But if you read the word, what it says, it says to guard the way to the tree of life. What does to guard the way mean? It means to protect it, to attend to it, to observe it, to preserve it, to be a watchman for it. Why? To protect the way of the ancient times, of being in the beginning of antiquity. Why? Because Yeshua's blood was going to buy back the access to for us to access that place again. The whole purpose of those cherubim and, and the flaming sword. What is that flaming sword? It's a being. They were there to protect and to preserve the way back, not to keep us out. This is actually a really good place to stop. We've just come to the end of Genesis 3. And from the next episode, we can finally start getting into what generational inheritance, what dealing with bloodlines is actually all about. I've had to build this foundation over the last five episodes just to show you how man was born perfect. Well, he was created perfect in the image of God, how God used him to create things. He was a co-creator with God, how there was just one instruction. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, how that serpent came and enticed them, how humanity fell. We've had a look at a ton of amazing revelation nuggets along the way. But we've been building our case towards the generational inheritance. I'm looking forward to sharing with you what your role is in this whole thing. If Adam is our father and sin was found in him and all of humanity is now born in sin and iniquity, how do we break it? How do we begin as sons to take dominion over the works of God's hands. How do we begin to change creation and bring it back to its first estate? You can, by what you deal with in your DNA, in your bloodline, by owning your stuff, instead of being like Adam and Eve who blamed each other and the serpent. How do you own your stuff? How do you get all the paperwork that is against you in the spirit squashed so that the enemy doesn't have a foothold in your life? How do you break those cycles and those patterns of addiction, of, of cancers, of 
all of this painful stuff that you see happening from generation to generation, how do you stop it from continuing in another generation? You can leave a legacy for your future generations by what you take care of today. So we'll start to delve in this a little bit more and you'll begin to very clearly see what your role is in this whole picture. I look forward to meeting with you next time. Have an awesome day.